Thank you to Mike and Joy for leading us in worship this morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. Starting off this morning, I want to briefly address, I'm sure everybody heard in the news this week about the tragic shooting that happened last week at a church in Texas. And I just want to, if anybody has it on their mind this morning or has any anxiety about that this morning, that um, these things have been evaluated in the past and will be evaluated in light of what recently happened by the deacons and leaders in the church. And it's something that we certainly care about is this being a safe place to worship. And we're thankful that it is. And we're thankful that we live in a nation where uh, overwhelmingly churches are our safe places to come and to worship the Lord. There's over 300,000 churches in America. And uh, so I hope this not ever be a place that people are, are uh, fearsome for. But just again, to give some reassurance that uh, safety is something that's certainly a priority to us and something that we care about. Um, and we'll continue to, to plan for and to, to consider. With that, would you pray with me this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this new year, and we pray for your blessings, Lord, most importantly, your spiritual blessings of knowing you better, growing in a relationship with you more and more, loving you more, loving and serving your people Lord, I pray for our time in your word this morning. And as we talk about your word itself, as we talk about the scripture in this message, I pray that we have a greater and greater love for your word, Lord, because it is good, because it is from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Also wanted to say hi to Eileen. It's great to see you this morning. Eileen Bauer. Mentioned will be in Psalm 119. I mentioned last week that starting this new year, new decade off, we're doing a small series which I've titled Pillars, and which is the focus of the, uh, some of the major pillars of the Christian life. And this week we start off, we look at the, the Word of God. The Bible is the pillar of the Christian life. It's the foundation of the Christian life. It's the cornerstone of the Christian life. The Bible is the heart of knowing God. Knowing what he has revealed about himself and about the world, and seeing his unfolding plan of salvation throughout history. It is the source of authority for matters considering doctrine and teaching of the Christian faith. And this morning we'll be looking at Psalm 119. And we have a lot to cover this morning, so we'll get right into our text. A few notes about this passage. Many of you probably already know this, but Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's 176 verses divided into 24 stanzas. Each stanza corresponds to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, so the, the psalm is an acrostic poem. It's a passage that lifts up God's law, his word, his decrees, his commands, his salvation, and the hope promise and truth which come through what God has said through his word. Now, I mentioned just a moment ago that Psalm 119 is 176 verses. In English, it's over 2,400 words. Just to put that in perspective, if Psalm 119 were its own book of the Bible, it would be longer than 31 of the 66 books that are already in the Bible. Psalm 119 is actually longer than half of the books in the New Testament. With that said, obviously we are not going to exhaustively 
study this chapter this morning. Unless you'd like me to. We could be here all day. I got nowhere to go. While many of the Psalms have an author attached to them, Psalm 119, we don't know who wrote it. Any suggestion is ultimately speculation. But again, with all of that, let's just uh, jump in to take a look at Psalm 119. First thing I'd like to do this morning is look at some common themes in this psalm. And in doing that, we're going to briefly look at 12 things which this psalm teaches us about the Word of God. And so we'll jump right in. First thing, the word is true. Psalm 119, verse 151. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. The word of God is tied to the very character of God. The Bible is the greatest book ever written because it's God's word. We see the truth of Scripture confirmed in architectural discovery. I'm sorry, uh, in Discoveries that have been made by anthropologists. We see the truth of Scripture and prophecies which pointed Jesus and were fulfilled in Jesus. In Jesus' life, we see a historical person who lived out the Scriptures. We can trust the Bible and that it's true because the witness of the Christian church and the millions upon millions of lives which have been changed and transformed by the Bible. And because the Bible is true, the Bible can be trusted. It's not a collection of fairy tales. They're not myths, but rather it's the word of Almighty God. We see it in the covenants that God makes. God promises his faithfulness, and he is faithful. He promises Abraham that through him all the nations will be blessed and God follows through. He promises David that an heir will come from his family and that his kingdom will never end. And it happens. Everything that God promises, he does. And because God has always been faithful to his word, faithful to his promise, we can have confidence that God is going to be faithful to all that he continues to promise. Also, it's been bugging me. I meant to say archaeologist, not anthropologist. <laughs> God promised us in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And because that's God's word, we can trust that. God promises that he will take away our sins as far as the east is from the west. And we can trust that. God promises that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from his love. And we can trust that because he's God. God isn't wishy-washy. He isn't learning as he goes. He isn't figuring things out. God is in total dominion over creation. And his plan is revealed in his word. Second thing that this psalm teaches us about the word of God, it's a source of joy. Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Do you view the Bible that way? The sweetness of the Bible? The joy that we can take in the Bible and what it represents? It is the vehicle through which God's gospel and eternal word are seen. Another similar verse in this passage comes from verse 47. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. The Bible 
is it meant to be drudgery? Knowing God's word isn't meant to be a chore. It is the most true and perfect guide to life that has ever been written. Part of what this psalm is ultimately talking about is that God reveals his will through his word. And when I say God's will, I'm not necessarily talking about an individual plan just for your life. If you should buy a new house or take a new job. I'm talking about God's perfect moral will for all mankind, which is revealed in the Bible. I think about the psalm talking about the word of, Lord, of the Lord being as sweet as honey. And it makes me think of a New Testament verse in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking. And he says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. All sorts of things that the world looks to for joy, money, toys, a certain lifestyle, a certain type of family, a certain level of comfort. Those things will not eternally satisfy because we were made for infinite and eternal happiness in the presence of God. But the presence of God in heaven is a perfect place. And so the righteousness of God and knowing the word of God points us to what we were really made for. And it is for that reason that the word itself is something in which we should take joy. Because it points us to the perfect state in which we will be with the Lord. And the sweetness in the word of God is having a desire to more and more live in accordance with what God has made you for. Third, third thing that this psalm tells us about the word of God. It's valuable. Psalm 119 verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Think if you could have a million dollars or a billion dollars. That'd be nice. But you can't take that with you. It can't point you to salvation. It can't give you ultimate meaning. But the word of God tells us of infinite forgiveness and joy for those who trust in the gospel. And we know the gospel through knowing the word. It is of infinite value to know God's law, to know his righteous will. I think of the great lengths we will go to for medical treatment. We'll give anything to be treated, anything to feel better, anything to have the surgery that we need. And we should do that. But my point is that even after the procedure, even if we live another 80 years after that, our lives are still going to end. But the word of God points to the message of eternal life. We'd give anything to have a cure for our various significant maladies. But the Bible points us to the cure for eternal separation from God. The cure for eternal death. The psalmist says in verse 127, Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. I think of how easy it is for us today to have the Bible. Most of us probably have one at home. If you don't, we can take one from the church. If you have a smartphone, you can download the Bible for free. 
It's easy for us to have. But throughout the history of the church, and even today in certain parts of the world, there have been people who have been persecuted for this book. People who have lost their lives over this book. And they did that for a reason. Because God's word is valuable. A fourth thing that this psalm teaches us about the word of God. It's eternal. Psalm 119 verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. The reason why we can trust that the word of God is eternal is because God himself is eternal. The same God who was in the beginning. The same God who said, let there be light. The same God who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. The same God whose glory filled the temple. Is the personal God today who invites you to know him. He is the eternal God of the eternal word who keeps his eternal promises. Verse 160, the psalmist says, The sum of your words is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. God isn't going anywhere. And there is no firmer foundation under which to place your hope than the Lord. Towards the end of his ministry, Jesus similarly spoke of his own words. And because Jesus was God on earth, his word likewise has divine authority. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. All that the scripture says is true. But we miss out on being edified in the truth of God's word if we are not spending time knowing God's word. Fifth point. Points us to holiness. More than any other subject, Knowing the will of God and following his law is what this psalm is about. Psalm 119, verse 68, the psalmist says, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. In that verse, it simultaneously tells us about the goodness of God, the goodness of what God does, and as a result of that, the desire to know the Lord's commands. One of the best-known verses in the entire psalm, verse 18, we see the psalmist asking the Lord to know his law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The psalmist isn't asking just for a list of rules. He doesn't ask for a checklist, but rather he asks to behold wondrous things out of your law. Throughout the passage, We see a pleading of the psalmist to know the word of the Lord and to be enabled to follow God's commands. The psalmist shows that in several ways. There is a desire to keep God's commands because of a recognition of the love that God has for us. Verse 64. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. God loves us, he is for us, and his law has been given as a blessing, not a curse. There's a desire to keep God's commands in light of who God is as our creator. Verse 73, your hands have made and fashioned me, 
Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. God has created us and the entire universe. So all that is true comes from the Lord. And therefore, the best way to live life is to live in accordance of his truth. There's a desire to know God's word because knowing and applying his word keeps us from sin. Psalm 119 verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yes, we continue to sin in our lives. But it is the word of God that points us to what God desires of us. Knowing what is true and what God wills for us to do. And living out his truth. Next point about the word. It points us to holiness. But holiness is a standard that we cannot attain on our own. But in this psalm we see that God's word also points us to life. Verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. We are hopeless and dead apart from Christ. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. But it is the word of God which ultimately points us to the gospel of God. Verse 25, the psalmist talks about his his soul clinging to the dust. Verse 107, he again talks about his dire circumstances. He says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. It is through the word that the message of eternal life is communicated. That that is true both of the scripture, of the printed word, and in the communication of God's word through the proclamation of the gospel message. God's ultimate word is Jesus. We were in the Gospel of John. Again, Lord willing, plans to get back there in a few weeks. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus himself is God's word, who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God, and that Jesus was the word who was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the ultimate word of God because he is the ultimate self-disclosure and truth of God who points us to God. And for that reason, it is fitting that John began his gospel by calling Jesus the word. In John 5, 24, Jesus is speaking with a group of Pharisees. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Then again, we see the beginning of the book of 1 John. 1 John 1, 1 and 2 book that's shorter than this psalm. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Seventh thing that this psalm teaches us about the word of God, it points to God's justice. While we should rejoice that the word points us to holiness and to eternal life, that's contrasted with our sin 
which the Bible also shows us. For the person who does not trust in the Lord, there are consequences. Verses 118 through 120. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like the dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. There is no hope apart from the Lord, because all are hopelessly sinful. The psalmist continues to lament and to repeat a common theme of the psalms in asking when the Lord will bring his justice. Verses 84 and 85. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. It's a blessing that the Bible points out sin. Because it is only when we truly understand sin that we can truly appreciate the grace of God. The Bible doesn't justify sin. It doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't hide sin. Again, when sin happens in the world, we should never be surprised. It's a sinful, fallen world. The Bible doesn't have a sentimental view of sin. But rather, it points us to our desperate condition as sinful people who can only be redeemed by the saving work of Christ. Eighth point that the Bible, that we learn about the word from this psalm. The Bible points us to life. It points us to the law. I'm sorry, it points us to wisdom, rather. We've seen that it points us to life. It points us to the law, to the righteousness of God. But in practical application, not all situations we face, we face in life are easy to discern. Sometimes we face situations that aren't black and white, where there's not a simple, you should do this or you should not do that. But the word points us to wisdom. Verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Wisdom is knowing how to live out God's truth. We need to have a heart and mind that's full of God's truth so that we can navigate through life. But the only way we can do that is through knowing his word. Because there is no wisdom in truth apart from God's wisdom and truth. And therefore, we need to have an entire worldview that is built upon the Scripture. Otherwise, we're susceptible to the flavor of the month, the news, the, the events around us, the in vogue wisdom of the day that will fade into generation. But the Word of God is eternal. A ninth thing that this psalm teaches us about the Word of God. It inspires worship. 119 verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Every mention of praise in this psalm talks about the word and praise in conjunction with God's law. 
Following rules is not what saves us. It's not what makes us right with God. Only God's grace can do that. But the desire for God is that for people to, who know him and love him to live lives to his glory. The psalmist says in verses 174, 175, at the end of the psalm, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. <coughs> Knowing the goodness of God, the sinfulness of our own hearts, the hope through God's gospel, the truth of his scripture, the righteousness of his law, and in that the only appropriate response is to come to the Lord in the spirit of worship. Tenth, the word gives us an avenue to contemplate God's goodness and glory. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. We can spend all day in the Bible. But sadly, we so often spend too little time in the scripture. The psalmist says that he meditates on the word, and we can do that too. To take time in his word, considering the word, thinking about the meaning of the scriptures. The word meditation oftentimes, I think, makes us think of, of Buddhist monks in a temple. The stereotypical view of that, sort of sitting down, not thinking. That's really not biblical meditation. In fact, it's the opposite. Biblical meditation is not about emptying your mind, but rather filling your mind with the truth of who God is. The Bible is infinite in its depth. The great 20th century preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a verse-by-verse commentary on the book of Romans. Perhaps no man in history has plumbed the depths of Paul's letter to the Romans to the extent of Lloyd-Jones. His commentary is 14 volumes and over 5,000 pages just on the book of Romans. You can never exhaust the scriptures of their richness and meaning. You can never know a book too well. It is important to continually be in the word because it points us to God's glory. It's important to spend time in the Bible every day because we're changing every day. <clears throat> we're facing new situations and struggles every day. We're having new victories and sins every day. There's a saying that you never step in the same river twice. And the point of that is because the river is always changing, always flowing. The seasons change. The land changes. The erosion in and around the water, it changes. Well, you never read the same passage of the same person twice because we too are always changing. We come to texts with new experiences, new understanding, new perspective. We're always changing, but the word of God is fixed and eternal. Through the word, we can meditate on God's divine activity. Verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Through God's word, we can meditate on God's promises. Verse 48. 
I'm sorry, verse 148. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may, may meditate on your promise. The Bible's also in itself a great resource for prayer. That includes praying the prayers of the Bible, seeing how people pray in the Bible, the language they use to pray, and integrating that into your own prayers from the Bible. Eleventh. I'm sorry, there's only two more. It's a source of hope. Verse 49. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Here, the psalmist appears, appeals to the very character of God. It is because God is truthful, loving, and faithful to his word that the psalmist can ask the Lord to remember him in salvation. We see that same idea again in verse 116. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Part of the reason why we can hope is that we have God's continued faithfulness throughout the scriptures. Not only that, but in the face of continued sin and rebellion, we see God continually, his abounding love and grace. Verse 81, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Again, there are a lot of things the world puts hope into. We like to put hope in ourselves oftentimes, like to control things. But we have no real power on our own. But God has ultimately given us his word, which we can live by. Twelfth point. The word points us to the love of God. The Bible is a story of the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 76, the psalmist says, Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. One of the things that comes across from God's word is that God is good and holy, and we aren't. Hundreds of references in the Bible to the love of God. And for sinful and fallen people, the reason why God offers grace is because he is a loving God. We've literally only scratched the surface of this wonderful psalm. As we come to this first Sunday of this new year, of this new decade, I say all these things because I want to inspire and encourage and challenge you to spend time in God's word every day. Why don't we spend more time in the Bible than we do? Part of the reason is because the Bible is hard to read, at least for many people. And if that's true for you, don't be ashamed of that. It's okay to admit that. However, it's still important to spend time in the Word. Because with anything that's challenging, we can't always just wait around for a time where we're motivated or feel like doing it. Lots of things that are enriching and make us better are challenging. 
Sometimes you might be tempted to question, but if, if I'm a Christian, shouldn't reading the Bible be easier for me to do? I would say to that it shouldn't be a surprise that for so many the Bible is difficult to read. I've heard the saying before that the Bible is the most owned and least read book. Reading the Bible is a challenge because it exposes our areas of sin and imperfection. And who wants to read about how imperfect we are? We'd much rather be patted on the back and told we're great. But the Bible confronts us with harsh realities. A second reason why it can be challenging it was written in different times and cultures. Now, please don't misunderstand because I believe that the Bible is timeless and communicates eternal truths. But there's still a cultural gap between the original audience for whom these texts were originally addressed than for us today. It's a different cultural context. Again, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that that's, I think, part of the reason why some things can be difficult. Third reason it can be a challenge, it's a long book and a long collection of books. Most of us probably have certain books of the Bible that we like. They might speak to your heart more than other books do. Maybe they were meaningful to you at the time you became a Christian or at a really difficult time in your life. And that's a wonderful thing. Some of the most beloved books in the Bible include books like Psalms, Proverbs, Romans, the Gospels. Some of us might be very familiar with some of those books. And again, that's a wonderful thing. It's great to have books of the Bible that we know and love. But at the same time, it's important for us to spend time in all of the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's all God's Word. But that being said, some books are more difficult to get into than others. You might be able to start in Genesis, and you're doing pretty well through Genesis. Most of that is, is a narrative, easy enough. And then you continue into Exodus, and for most of Exodus, you're also going strong. And then you get to around Exodus chapter 24, and it gets into instructions for the temple. And that can be challenging. Now, again, I'm not saying that it's not important. The temple, first of all, I talk about the temple, I feel like, about every other sermon. I think it's very important. However... It's still complicated because there's a lot of details in those texts. And then it gets into Leviticus and the law. It's, it just, it can get challenging. And if you don't have an understanding of those passages and what they're talking about, it can become daunting. Again, I'm not bad-mouthing the Bible. I'm just also not sugarcoating that it can be challenging. But in spite of all that, it's important. Because again, it's the word of God. And it's worth knowing. But that doesn't mean it's easy. Fourth reason. This is a comment kind of about our culture and society in general. But our society has become less biblically literate. And part of the consequence of that is that we know the Bible less and less which makes it more foreign to us, which makes it even more intimidating to approach. That might not be true for everyone in this room, but again, societally, I think that's part of the reason why reading the Bible is a challenge. 
Again, I'm just explaining why it can be difficult. I'm not giving excuses. Because in spite of those challenges, it is nevertheless important for a Christian to spend time in the Word every day. Because you don't have to be a biblical scholar or an expert to read a book of the Bible and to be enriched and encouraged and challenged and to glean important things from the text. Sure, prophetic books can have metaphors that you might not fully understand what they mean. But you can still pick up images of God's wrath towards sin and images of God's grace towards sinful people. Places that talk about the law, we might not understand why every law is where it is or, or what they all mean. However, it still points us to God's holiness. There are passages that talk about God's wrath, but we see them also transition to talking about God's grace in spite of sin. Don't let the fact that you can struggle in certain passages or certain books be a reason to not even try. Let's not have an attitude that we need to perfectly understand a passage or a book before we can even bother to read it. Because all that does is keep us from starting. Again, it's important to read the whole Bible. One thing that I think is helpful is having a good study Bible. Those can, I think, help navigate you through some of the places where otherwise you don't know what's happening. But ultimately, it needs to be you yourself who's reading the text, reading the word. It's helpful to have a reading plan. There are numerous biblical reading plans. If you've never tried one of those, that might be helpful to keep you focused. But it's important to realize that what works for one person might not necessarily work for someone else. And that's okay. If a certain Bible plan doesn't work for you, or if you've tried one in the past that didn't work for you, don't let that be a reason to not try again. The important thing is finding what works for you and what will get you into the Word. It doesn't necessarily always have to be a plan that will have you reading the entire Bible in a year. Some of us, I'm sure, have never read the Bible from cover to cover. Or some of us who have read the whole Bible, maybe haven't reread it in years or even decades. So what if it takes two years or 13 months or three years? But again, the important thing is to spend time with God in his word every day. If you miss a day or a couple days or a week, get back to it. Another point to be made, it's helpful to have a set time of day to read your Bible. That will vary from person to person. When we think about our use of time, most of us are pretty routine. You probably wake up within an hour or so most days. You probably go to bed within an hour or so of the same time most days. We have routines. We have routines for how we eat our meals, how we spend our leisure time on a typical night. We have routines for how we spend our morning. Routines for how we brush our teeth. We have a routine for basically everything. If you're someone who has a habit of drinking coffee in the morning, you don't really have to plan ahead for that or think that much about it. It's just part of what you do. And it's the same way to have 
reading the Bible become part of your daily fabric of life. That by itself is one thing that greatly increases the likelihood of successfully spending time with God every day. Again, I know many of us here do that already. But for the person who doesn't, my point isn't to shame you, but to encourage you that God's word is good and that it's good to spend time in it. That you can go forward, no matter how young or not young you are. Find a time that works. Again, maybe it's when you first wake up, before you've done anything else. Maybe it's right after lunch. Maybe it's right before bed. The time doesn't matter specifically. Just finding what works for you. Experiment if you have to. And that time might change during different seasons of life. But again, it's important to have it be a part of your routine. A habit in your life. It's not always easy. But again, when we make it something that is foundational to who we are and what we do, that you're a person who's committed to God's word and spending time in his word, while it's not always easy, I would say that it becomes easier when it's part of your life. Don't make excuses. Don't say you don't have time. You do. If you read the Bible for just 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, you'll read through the whole book in a year. An hour of network television has about 16 minutes of commercials. We have time for what we want. No matter how busy you are, we need the Bible because it is the truth of God. It's great to come to church, to come to Sunday school, to listen to sermons, listen to podcasts, read Christian books, listen to Christian music. Those are all wonderful things. And hopefully those are all things that are based in the word. But when you're reading the Bible, you're going directly to the source. We draw so many places for advice, for self-help, what others say. But what we ultimately need to know in life is what God says. And so again, my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, this year and going forward to future years is to get in the habit if you're not doing it already of spending time in God's word every day. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that when we read your word that you would open the eyes of our hearts to wonderful things in your law and we would store that in our hearts and live that out and be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.